Praise the Lord. You know, in this series of messages, we've learned a lot of things that Scripture points out about believers, what we are. And we are not just one of those things. We are all of those things. Scripture says so. We are those things. And today we're going to see that we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ. Now, if somebody tells you you have an inheritance coming, does that lift your heart? Of course it does. You think, wow, this is great, you know, what am I going to get? Right? You will start wondering, like, what's it going to be? And uh, God's Word makes it very clear what our inheritance is. I'm not going to talk so much about the inheritance, but I'm going to talk about what it means to be an heir and the different types of heirs and uh, whether or not we could be disinherited. Because the Word makes it clear. Um, And so I think what we'll do, I think we're going to go to prayer again, and I'm going to trust God to take a hold of me. We're going to look in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin at verse 12. You'd find that on page 1741 in the Bibles there in your seats. And we have more of those coming, by the way. We've contacted the publisher. Uh, They were delayed for some reason. They told us the reason. I don't know what it was. I don't remember. My wife did it, but we're going to have more uh, Bibles for the seats there. But let's pray. Father... You and I both know that I'm unable to do this without You. I'm not able to do this, Father. I need You to help me to speak clearly. I need You to break any bondage, Lord, that would limit my ability to speak. And I only want to speak clearly what it is that You want me to speak. Nothing more and nothing less. And so, Father, I ask that you would take a hold of my mouth, give me unction to speak by your Spirit. Lord, I want to speak only what each one who hears this message needs to receive. Let each one feel, Lord, as if perhaps uh, you were speaking directly to them. Please reform us, Lord, <clears throat> and revive us. Bring us back, Lord. Regardless of how long we have held on to erroneous doctrines of men or demons, I ask that You would remove and eliminate, erase those things. Make us discerners of spirits and of truth, just as Your Word says, Father. Reject everything that's counterfeit. We belong to You and You alone, and so we ask that You would use us. Strengthen us in Your power. Give us Your understanding. Give us wisdom, Father. Fill us with Your Spirit to overflowing. And I ask that You would block any and all distractions that might be lingering in our minds. Anything that might draw our attention away from You, Father, because we want to be drawn near to You and that You would draw near to us. Cleanse our hands, Lord. Purify our hearts. Overwhelm us with Your Holy Spirit-filled Word. Make us people of love for You and for our neighbors, and grant to Your servant here that by Your Spirit, with all boldness, I may speak Your Word through the name of our Lord and Savior, the one we call Jesus, Yahashua, Your Messiah. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. I love that big font. That's great. I know the people in the back can read it, right? Anybody not able to read that? Great. Okay. And I didn't open up my Bible. Page 1741, if you care to follow along in the Bible, in those ones that are in your seats. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And he's not talking about physical death, folks. He's talking about eternal dying. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And again, he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about spiritual life. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Also meaning children, not just for the males. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Father, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And there you see again, it's not just sons, we're sons and daughters, we're children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and heirs of Christ, heirs, joint heirs with Christ, excuse me, if indeed we suffer with Him, and I'm not going to cover that one this time, but we're going to look at it at some point in the future, that we may also be glorified together. And again, there's the purpose of that little piece of my prayer this morning, that God would glorify us in Christ. Let's uh, ask God to bless the reading and hearing of His Word today. We touched, as I said on this text two weeks ago in the message that I entitled, We Are More Than Conquerors. But the idea is one that deserves our full attention. It's not just a side note in a message. It needs to be something that we fully comprehend. We are, yes, more than conquerors, but we are also heirs, heirs of God. And we're debtors. That's what the Scripture says. That's what's written. We are debtors, not to the flesh to live as the flesh dictates, but to God. We are debtors. We are in debt to God. We owe a debt that requires us to live differently. We have to live differently than we once did. And there are many Scriptures that lay that out. I'm not going to read them all. You once were, it says in one place. You used to do these things, it says. My paraphrase. There's a change that's come upon you. If you've been spiritually born anew, if you have been transformed by the power of God through His Spirit, you no longer want to do those things. If you live according to the flesh, it's written there, according to the flesh you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, do you hear the life and death? Words, the language there, this is a life and death matter for you, for your soul. Your soul depends upon how you live. Even though your salvation does not come through your work, it's very clearly written here that if you live by the deeds of the body, you will die. That's what's written. But if you put those deeds to death... You will live. There's one place, well, probably more than one place, where the Scripture uses oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. This is why I I carry a little vial of oil, not because this little vial is filled with the Holy Spirit, but because I anoint others with the expectation that they will recognize and understand that it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. It's not the oil. But there's a reason why oil is important in Scripture, and we're going to get to that today. Because the Holy Spirit leads you out of temptation. The Holy Spirit empowers you to say no. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to resist the devil, and then what happens? Anybody? He flees. He has to. It is written. And he hates that phrase. I won't go into that reason I understand that very clearly, but he hates that phrase. It is written. It is solid. It is immutable. It is unchangeable. It is written. You resist the devil, he flees. You put to death the deeds of the body, you live. It is written. Now, in Romans 8 and 14... We hear, as we read, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, because the Holy Spirit leads you to be that child of God, out of temptation. 
You didn't receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Adoption. Now, now, see, we're getting to the place where you became an heir. Adoption. You were adopted into the family of God. You were once not a part of the family of God, but now you are because you were adopted. And see, that's the act or the deed of adoption. You've been brought into the family of God. You're an unnatural branch. You've been grafted in to the olive tree. You were from a wild olive tree, and you've been grafted into the cultivated olive tree. We looked at that in another message. If you're a child of God, it's written in Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself bears witness The Spirit Himself lets you know that you are, in fact, a child of God. And so if you find yourself walking in darkness, the Spirit's going to say, Hey, John, you're in darkness. You're a child of God. You don't belong there. If you find yourself in a pigsty like the prodigal son who left home with his inheritance, the Holy Spirit bears witness and says, You don't belong here. This is not your home. Return home. It'll be better for you there. If children, if you're children of God, then you're heirs of God. And what does God own? Anybody? Everything. He owns everything. He's the creator of all that is, was, and ever shall be. He owns it all. And so you're an heir of what? Everything. Now, we don't know exactly what that looks like. We don't know how that translates in eternity. But we know this. If our Father is the owner of everything and we are heirs, then He's going to make sure that we're well taken care of. Don't you think so? Okay, so all believers are heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ, and most of us have a general idea of what it means to be an heir. And so I wanted to make sure that I fully comprehended, because I don't want to misspeak. There may be some people who understand the law better than I do, and they might call me on something if I don't say it quite right. And so I got out my Black's Law Dictionary, fourth edition. I have a fourth and a seventh edition. And so I, I looked at it. It has a lot. There's a lot written about heirs and about being an heir and the different types of heirs. And there's all different nuances in the law that are described in the different definitions and the different titles of different heirs. It adds many different uh, defining terms. Generally speaking, though, an heir inherits property, whether real or personal. Real property would be something that's attached to the earth. Now, we call it real estate, and I'm not going to get into that thing, but it's different. It's not the same. Real property. This is real property. It belongs to God and none other. The state doesn't have it in an estate, at least not to my knowledge. I might get caught on that one. Forgive me, Lord. I don't know. But two of the distinctions that are made in the Black's Law Dictionary are heir testamentary and heirs by adoption. Those are two distinctions to heirs. The complexity for us believers is that we're heirs of someone who is alive and never going to die. So how does that work? See, that's where it gets a little bit uh, where we've got to search the Word. We've got to look, because we want to know the truth. I want to know the truth, and I want to share the truth with you, okay? God is the one who made us heirs through Christ. Oh, that's right. We were adopted into the family, but God's alive, and He's not going to die. And so how does this happen? How does this work? How are we heirs to the Creator of all it is, was, and ever shall be if, in fact, He's never going to die? By the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, Christ is the mediator of the New Testament, the testament of God, the testament that relates 
how Christ translated us from death to life, how He translated us from being non-children to being children, how He brought us by adoption because He purchased us with His blood shed on that Roman death instrument. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I would suggest that you read Hebrews chapter 9. You get home, get out your Bible and read it. Because it gives a very clear understanding of who we are by His work. It's a complexity, because the property owner is still alive. Christ is the firstborn Son, and therefore He's entitled to possess the kingdom in all that Almighty God has. Christ is the firstborn of many. In Christ, we are heirs. He's the ark of the new covenant. In Christ, we are joint heirs with Him of all that is, according to God. He's the firstborn. And this makes us heirs and joint heirs with Him. Webster's 1828 Dictionary. If you really want to know what a word means, go back. Because it matters. Words matter, folks. And the, the, the definitions are changing. There's this fluidity in, in, uh, in, in academia today that says everything's fluid. It's okay if it changes because, after all, it has to blend in with where we are. That's not how the law works. God's law doesn't work that way, nor does man's law. I was listening to this appointee to the Supreme Court speak, uh, and she was responding to uh, Senator John Kennedy, and she said, well, we always look at the intent all the way back, if uh, the original intent, originality, I think, or something to that, there's a, there's a legal term for it. She said, we, everybody does that. She said, it's not just, you know, one or another, it's everybody that does that. They look back because it matters what was intended then, and it's based on what? Words. That's how we comprehend ideas. We put them into words, and then we share those words, and those words have meanings, and those meanings matter. So we look at Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and and he defines heir as one who is entitled to possess. Is the enemy entitled to possess you anymore? Not if you've given your life to God through Christ. He doesn't have the right to possess you anymore. Only God's entitled to possess you. And as an heir, you are entitled, and Scripture tells us, and and Webster tells us, saints are called heirs of the promise. Heirs of righteousness. Heirs of salvation. We are heirs of these things because God says so. And we may not fully comprehend how that's possible because God is alive and He's going to remain alive, but it's true. God's Word makes it true because His Word is true. And that's the operation of God. He has adopted us into His family and He's made us heirs by His work. We're heirs of His kingdom. And we can't even fathom what this kingdom is. We don't have, our minds are too finite. They're too small. And I'm not meaning to disparage anybody, okay? I'm including myself here. We cannot think of how broad the kingdom of God is and what that means and what it looks like for all of eternity. All we have is this little snippet of life that we live here on this side of eternity, and we can't get the big picture. We're not allowed to. He hasn't given us the capacity to comprehend what it is that He has in store for us. His Word makes that clear. We can't comprehend the length and the breadth and the depth of what He has prepared for His children. We receive that heirship by adoption in Christ. As members of His body, we are co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ. And we receive the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the pledge of our inheritance. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It's the pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit of promise is the down payment. 
And what we experience in the spiritual realm here and now is the down payment of what we will receive later. Spiritual things that we cannot imagine. There's many people that don't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. I say we need to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and do what He does. But let us not feign anything. Let us not pretend anything. Let us not think that somehow we can make Him do something that He doesn't want to do. If we're His, then we're serving Him. By His glory, He'll reveal Himself. He will manifest Himself through the people that are filled with Him. I've seen people that have feigned being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's a regretful thing. Sad, sad reality. If we are going to be God's people filled with His Spirit, then we need to allow Him to operate through us, not us operate Him. He's not our puppet. We are His puppets, if you will. We're His slaves, His servants. If God wants to use you to His glory, He's going to reveal to you, to His glory, what it is that He has for you to do, and He's going to do that through His Spirit, because He's the down payment of what's coming. He's the earnest, it's written, I believe, in the King James Version of the Bible, and I looked that word up in the Black's Law Dictionary, because earnest is the down payment. It's the security to show that it's real. And there's some that take that, and they say, well, I've got this security. They call it eternal security. And they make it something more than what it is. And they say, I can do whatever I want, because after all, I've been bought blood-bought and paid for by Christ Himself, and I've got the Holy Spirit as my guarantee that no matter what I do, I can do on earth, and I'm still in His favor. God's Word says that's a heresy. And I know there's going to be people that get mad at me for that one too. Forgive me, Father, but I've got to speak Your Word. Black's Law Dictionary gives a Black's Law Dictionary gives a separate definition for heirs by adoption. It's a separate category. You got heirs testamentary or heirs testamentary, heir testamentary, and heirs by adoption. And the heirs by adoption are an adopted child. Real simple. And they're in a limited sense made an heir not by the law. Do you get that? Christ spoke about law versus grace. You're not made an heir by the law, but by the contract evidenced by the deed of adoption. And deed here means the work, the action, the actuality of adoption. You were actually adopted by God through Christ. And they cite the case that pointed that out on earth, okay? God already had it figured out. Believers have the testament of God which provides the contract evidence of the deed of adoption. You have it all right here, folks. You have the contract. We call it a covenant. God calls it a covenant. And when He cuts a covenant with His people, it is immutable. But do you think for a moment that you can't be disinherited? Think about it. Deed in that sense is the fact, the actuality, the act of the parties. God offered His Son as the sacrifice that paid for us to be redeemed, to be released from the bondage that we were in. We were in bondage to sin. We were in jail, if you will. We were in prison. God paid the price to get us out. And He translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And it's His marvelous light that we've been transferred into. We look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 is where it is written that believers are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We're going to look at that another time, because that's one that we can't just gloss over. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you, you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You were once without mercy, but now you've received that mercy which you did not have. And that is evidenced 
in the adoption as children of God and the down payment of the Holy Spirit who fills believers. It's His act. It's His act indeed, for sure, for certain, which means it actually has been done. The act of adoption has been accomplished. Can we shout a praise to God? God adopted us. Praise God. Praise God. He took us out of darkness. He put us into light, and it's all by His work. It's not ours. It's all His. And yet, at the same time, we are called unto good works. We learned that in the message before this one. We're called unto good works. We're beneficiaries, beneficiaries of His work on that Roman cross. He's already declared His will by the covenant that He cut with humankind with His Son as the sacrifice. That's His will and testament. So what does this all exactly mean? I mean, really, why does it matter? Why do we need to know that we are heirs and co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ? Like anyone who receives an inheritance, we receive it without any cost to ourselves, right? I mean, you don't have to go to the reading of the will and testament of the person that gave you an inheritance with a pocket full of money to say, well, I have to buy my piece, right? No. It's a free gift. And see, there's where the distinction gets lost sometimes. Some will say, no, 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 you've got to work to get your salvation. That's not what God's Word shows. Not at all. We simply accept it or reject it as God's free gift. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we inherit, everlasting life. As an adopted child, the adopted children have the same right of inheritance as the begotten child. That's in... Black's Law Dictionary, a little bit of a paraphrase there. I shortened it down a bit. Because there are paragraphs and paragraphs of, of court cases that are cited about adoption. And so if we really want to know what it means, folks, we need to look at some of that stuff because in God's Word, we need to comprehend that He has taken us out of something and put us into something else by His work. But we could reject it, right? You go to the will reading and say, no, I don't want what they've got to give. Or maybe you just don't show up. You reject it altogether. And there are so many people that are rejecting the gospel of God that brings them that inheritance that would bring them into the kingdom that would make them adopted children of God, would graft them into the family. And there are many today that don't want that. They don't want what, ha- what God has to offer. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29, it's written, if you be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise. Heirs of the promise. You're Abraham's seed. You're grafted into the family. There's many passages of Scripture that give that understanding of how we have come out of the world and into God's family. In Titus chapter 3, and verse 7 is written, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 14, it's written, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Do you hear the future tense there? Some people are not heirs of salvation, and they will become heirs of salvation. So there's hope. God wants none to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. That's what His Word says. That's written in Peter's, or Peter's I want to say gospel, Peter's writings. In James chapter 2 and verse 5, it's written, Hearken, my beloved brother, brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which He hath promised to them that love Him? Love Him. What does it mean to love God? If you love God with your whole heart, if you love God completely, You obey Him. That's what it means. You obey Him if you love Him. Hey, I love you, God, but i got to do it my way, right? No, it doesn't work that way. You're right. 
heirs of the kingdom, which He promised to them that love Him. And love there is so synonymous with obey Him. Love is lamp oil. Remember we talked about oil a little bit ago? Oil. The oil of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is oil. Love is lamp oil. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, it speaks of husbands and wives as being heirs together of the grace of life. And now you get the picture. It's all about everlasting life. It really doesn't matter to me if there are anything, if there's anything else but the life that comes after this life. I'd be satisfied. I'm satisfied with less here. I've had plenty and I've had less. I've had lack and I've had abundance. And I say, well, Lord, blessed be the Lord because He provides. And I look at that life and I say, praise God. If you sit under my preaching from God's Word, you're going to know the difference between the light and the dark. There's no ambiguity, folks, okay? There is no, there's nothing that divides that more than God's Word. And His people are to be people of light, people of love. And so I asked, can we be disinherited? Can God remove us? Can God remove us? God's still alive, right? He hasn't died, and He's not going to die, and He's the one who's the testator. He's the one who made the testament real. He made the testament real. And this is where we have to really carefully look at the texts of Scripture. Ephesians 5.5 is written, it is written, for this you know that no whoremonger, you know, the the book publisher I sent the, the, the manuscript to, they had me take that word out when I didn't use it in the text of the Scripture. It was okay to have it in the book if it was in the Scripture, cited as a Scripture. But I said, God's Word calls spiritual idolatry whoremongering. And they said, you got to take that word out. So I said, okay, it's spiritual prostitution then. And they accepted that. <laughs> they accepted it. And they liked the word whore, I guess. So I praise God. It's in God's Word, okay? When you read God's Word, He says He's not going to accept any whoremongers. No unclean persons, no covetous man, no man who's an idolater, no one who has an inheritance, and none of them have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Okay, so if you are any of those things, and many others that Scripture tells us, murderers don't have an inheritance. He says, uh, you don't have an inheritance. So even if you think you have something, you may not have it. That's the problem in the church today, I believe. Consider the parable of the ten virtuous women, Matthew chapter 25, page 1533 in your Bibles there in your seats. Matthew chapter 25, this is really important, folks. you got to get this one. What did I say? It was 1533. Got to find that. I know it's up there for you all that want to read it there, but I've got to... Here it is. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five of them were otherwise. Five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all, that's an important word, all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins, all, key word, arose and trimmed their lamps. Trimmed, they lit their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Shortly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, this is the warning of our Lord and Savior. Watch, therefore, 
For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And then he goes into the man, the, the parable of the man, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went away to a far country, and so on and so forth. And we could read all of that, but time really does not permit us to. Think about this, okay? He's talking about ten virtuous women. Ten. All had lamps, right? All had some measure of light or the ability to bear light. All were at, they were all waiting for the bridegroom. All of them took a nap. It wasn't like the ones without oil took a nap and the other ones stayed awake. They all took a nap. We're all on the same page here, okay? They're waiting for the bridegroom. They all had lamps. They all took a nap. They all heard the announcement of the bridegroom coming, and all had trimmed their lamps. They lit their lamps. And these facts give us clear insight into their equality. They were all the same. And I got to thinking as I was preparing the message that maybe it's like the, the wheat and the tares. They all look the same. But there's a significant difference. And then we also hear their differences. Five were wise, five were not. They were otherwise. They were foolish. Five had a good storage of oil, five did not. Five were admitted to the wedding, five heard what none of us want to hear. I don't know you. And this is equal to believing you have something you do not. Now, I'm concerned for the body of Christ today because I believe there are lots of people who do not have what they think they have. They're lost. They do not have the full light. They are not walking in the light. They're living foolishly. And I'm not calling anyone a fool. What I'm saying is what Scripture says. The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. And Scripture calls them fools. These were equal. They were, they were co-equals. They were all together. They were in the same place. They were all doing the same thing. And it's important for us to understand, yes, we are heirs, Equally, it's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3, if anyone loves God, this one is known by Him. If you love God, God knows you. So how is it that those five were not admitted? He said, I don't know you. The lack of oil shows that they didn't love God. It's also written in Psalm 1 and verse 6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And this shows they were ungodly. The lack of oil proves that. And Psalm chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, and this is one that most people do not like to hear, but it is the absolute truth of God's Word. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. What is wickedness? It's whatever God says it is, right? True or false? If God is the author of life, He's the one that says what's right, He says what's wrong, He says what's righteous, He says what's wicked. Neither, it goes on to say, shall evil dwell with thee. Does the bride dwell with the bridegroom? But we're going to get into another message at some point in the future. I'll wrap it up as soon as possible, folks, but this is really important. You need to get this, okay, because it's foundational to your faith. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. So if you have evil in your heart, it is not going to dwell with God, okay? The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. You see, wickedness and foolishness are equated there. It is foolish to live a wicked life. It is foolish to live contrary to God's will. And then it's even more foolish to think that you have something that you don't have when you're living the way that God says not to live. In Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, it is written, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. God can't even look on iniquity. Wherefore thou lookest upon them that deal treacherously and holds thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Wherefore thou look, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. You know the righteous 
are going to be attacked by the wicked. It is written. And not just here. That's just an allusion to it. An, an, not an illusion, an allusion. It points to it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, it is written, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The seal, remember the seal? The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you name the name of Christ, you are instructed to depart from iniquity. Do not think for a moment that you can live an iniquitous life and then walk up and say, Wow, thanks for what you did for me, Jesus. Ain't going to happen. He's going to say, I don't know you. In Psalm 139, it is written, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Even those words, those words that are whispered, he knows. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? You think you can get away with something in front of God? It isn't going to happen, folks. does not happen. Don't think for a moment that somehow God is winking at you. Oh, it's all right, God. I know that's just Him. No. In Luke, it's written, and one said to him, Well, Lord, are there few who are saved? They got a little nervous. These are the guys that were with him, okay? They were living with him. And he said, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. Do you remember the parable of the ten virgins? Who shut the door? The bridegroom, the master. Shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he'll answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. And then you'll begin to say, wait, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I do not know you where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Now remember, those men were prophets on earth and they went on and he says, you're going to see them alive. Picture of everlasting life. They'll come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first. And there are first who will be last. I'm not going to get into all the details there, but he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And there are many people who carry Christian labels and wear crosses around their neck, and they say, I can do whatever I want, because after all, Jesus bought me. I belong to God. I'm an heir of the cross. In John, excuse me, Matthew's gospel record, we hear this in chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, in that day, excuse me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Who's he talking about here? He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people that believe they have something that they do not have, because here, as we go on reading, what does he say? He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do we think for a moment that we're going to pull something over God's eyes? Do we think as a body of believers, I'm not just talking about the people that meet in this building, I'm talking about all of Christendom. I'm talking about all people who name the name of Christ. Do we think for one moment that we can support things like abortion, for example? Do we think for a moment that we can murder 60 millions of babies and get away with it? Do we think for a moment that Almighty God is going to wake He's going to turn His head? He's going to say, that's okay, they're my people. Those are my children. God have mercy on this nation. We're not going to change His will from being done, folks, no matter what. Even if we are His heirs. 
I hope nobody thinks I'm angry, but it does make me angry, and I believe it makes God angry. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And in John chapter 9, we hear this, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, that's the second time we heard that, isn't it? What's God's will? That we love Him completely and love our neighbor as ourself. But then indeed, it's written in Galatians chapter 4, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? He says, you're known by God. How is it that you can turn back to that slavery that you were in? Oh, my. And what's that distinction between those who are known by God and those who are not? It's Christ. But it's also what we see in His Word. It is also our conduct while here on earth. It's very clear because He makes that distinction. And there are some that ignore that distinction. They brush it aside and say, no, 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 that's a problem passage. And I say, no, the problem is not the passage. It is the doctrine of the people who hold that doctrine which says you can do all that you want and still get where you're not going to go. And as I wrap it up, I want you to remember Christ is the firstborn. In Colossians chapter 1, it's written, He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, firstborn from the dead. And this is that in all things He might have the preeminence. He's first. He's number one. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. It's by His work that we're made heirs. And again, I would point you to the ninth chapter of Hebrews. Read it. But I also want you to recall what's in Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church of the Laodicean, excuse me, Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He was talking to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to people that don't attend services, okay? He's talking to people who say they're part of the church. And in 1 Peter, and this is the final text that I'll read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Yahashua, Messiah, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible. So the inheritance is incorruptible, but we are corruptible. That's the problem. And undefiled. So the inheritance is undefiled, but we can be defiled. If we give ourselves over to wickedness, it defiles us. And then what do we require? You look at the, the prodigal son. He took his inheritance, he ran off, he wasted it all on riotous living. He turned and he came back to the Father. I could do better as a slave of my dad than living in this pigsty. And the Father sees him coming from afar off and he runs out and he grabs him, makes a big to-do, a party, dresses him up real nice and he says, this is my son. He once was dead, but now he's alive. Was the boy dead in the pigsty? He was still breathing. He's talking about this uh, idea of the spiritual change between life and death. And if we are God's people, then we are heirs according to the promise. But we may not take whatever it is that God has given us and waste it on riotous living and expect that we can't turn back to God or that we shouldn't turn back to God, because we can if you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I'll raise my hand. I have. God can use you to His glory. You're an heir. He wants to gather others into His family, and He wants to use you to do it. 
Ultimately, folks, at some point in time, He may call upon you to go into His Word with a group of people and help them to comprehend the Scriptures because His Spirit will lead you to teach others. But it has to be His Word, and I stress that. That's why I use so much of God's Word in my messages because I don't want it to be me. I don't want it to be my thoughts. I don't want it to be anything that has to do with me. I want it to be His Word. This inheritance that we receive is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be received in the last time. Your salvation is ready to be received in the last time. It's reserved. Do you ever cancel a reservation? The reservation's there. There's a spot for you. How in the world could you cancel that reservation? By turning away. No, thanks. I, I don't want that. Folks, it's important that we comprehend God's Word on this matter. We need to be people of God who live in the light not in the darkness. And I know that's not a popular message today. I know it's not a recruitment message for Christianity today. Come to Jesus, and everything's going to go well for you. Come to Jesus, and you're going to get rich. I'm not so sure that's biblical. Oh, there are many people in the Scriptures who God enriched. And He may enrich you if you come to Christ. It'll be because He trusts you to do His work with whatever it is He gives you. I pray that we would recognize that we are heirs, heirs of His kingdom, and that we would live as His children, so that when the world looks at us, they see Christ. When the world looks at us, they see godliness. When the world looks at us, they see love. When the world looks at us, they see faith. When the world looks at us, they want what we have. We're not mimicking them. We're going to lead them into God's kingdom. All God's people said, Amen. Father, we thank you. You are in control of everything. Lord, sometimes the clock ticks away and we may not like it. I trust, Father, that I have been as brief as possible. I trust that you gave me the brevity for the matter at hand, that in fact we are your heirs. I know there are those who would say that we cannot be disinherited. They would point out the various nuances of how those people are said to be not known by you. We ask, Father, that you would help us to recognize when we step outside of your will. That we would walk with you as our guide, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said.